Thank you for listening to North Place Podcast. We hope that after listening to this message, you will feel inspired, uplifted, and closer to Christ. To watch the video of this message, visit our website at northplacechurch.com slash watch. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to receive every episode on your device as soon as we publish them. Next weekend is the weekend just prior to the 4th of July and all of the Independence Day celebrations. So I'm going to take advantage of that and I'm going to talk for a little bit next weekend about what it means to be a, a, a citizen of a country like this one from a biblical perspective. But before we talk about what it means to be the citizen of a country, I want to talk about what it means to be the citizen of a kingdom and specifically God's kingdom. So Here's the question. How do I know I'm a citizen of God's kingdom? What are my responsibilities as a citizen of God's kingdom? And are there any rights or privileges that come with being a citizen of God's kingdom? And the best place to answer that for us today is by looking in one of my favorite portions of the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is defining the nature of the church. He is detailing what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And this whole conversation spans from the end of chapter one to chapter number two. I'm only going to read a short portion of chapter number two today, but know that we're picking up in the middle of a conversation. And Paul says a whole lot in just a few verses. Let's just read and maybe I'll go back and pick up some of the pieces before verse 18, Ephesians two, for through him, Jesus, he's already made that clear in earlier conversations for through Jesus, we both have access. Now, let me explain what he means when he says we both have access. Up until this particular moment, Paul has been talking about Jew and Gentile. The Gentile is any race or ethnicity that is not Jew. And so up to this moment, there have been some that have been teaching the Gentile. The Ephesians were, were Gentiles, and they were non-Jews. And, and so there are some that have been teaching them that, they, that this message of grace through Christ was only for Jewish people, that it wasn't for anybody else. And Paul is a Jew who is, he's, he's refuting that. He's saying, no, 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 this message of Jesus is for everybody. It's for the whole world. It's for all people. And so Paul is now saying that these people that have been separated by race are now one family in Christ. So when he says both, he's referring to Jew and Gentile. For through him, through Christ, we both, the Jew and the Gentile, now have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, Paul says a lot here, but one of the things Paul is saying is that as Christians, we are not a loose aggregate of individuals. We are all a part of a bigger whole. He references a foundation that Christ is the chief stone of that foundation or the keystone of that foundation. And from that foundation on which Christ is the cornerstone, the entire house is being Built. He's using the imagery of stones and buildings to illustrate that as citizens of God's kingdom, we are not designed to do life alone. We're not designed to stand alone any more than a concrete block 
or a brick is supposed to sit over in the grass alone. I mean, if you walk along a sidewalk and you see a cinder block, a concrete block, or a brick sitting in the grass, you intuitively know that that stone must have gotten separated from other blocks and other bricks. You know that stones and bricks, those blocks and bricks, were designed to fit together to be added to each other, a little mortar around them that will eventually build up a building. Paul is saying that we're designed by God to fit together, to be part of God in his kingdom, to be joined together in Christ as one family. This biblical description of citizenship in the kingdom flies in the face of American individualism. In our culture, in America, we have no interest in being part of anything. We want to be the whole. We don't want to be a building block to any house. We want to be the house. But to fully understand God's kingdom and to fully function in and flourish in God's kingdom, you have to surrender your desire to be the whole and see yourself as just one stone. One very important stone, but just one stone in a house that God is building. Paul is not the only one to use the imagery of stones in order to talk about God building houses or citizenship in the kingdom of God. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple or spiritual house. So according to Paul and Peter, we as citizens of the kingdom are living stones God is building into his house. Now, I, I, I was preparing for this message and it really wound up being almost two sermons. So I'm going to give you the outline of the first one, and then this way I can get two little sermons in. I'm going to give you the outline of the first one and then the sermon that I'm going to preach, all right? Here's the one I wish I had time to talk to you about. I wish I had time today to focus on the living stone conversation because there's so much imagery about what it means to be a citizen when you think about the stone. In Paul's day, stones had to be cut out of a quarry cut or blasted, and it was a rough cut stone, but that stone was moved and brought over and set on a foundation. In other words, if you're going to come into the family, you're going to be a citizen in the kingdom, you have to be cut out of the old life, cut out of the kingdom of darkness, and transformed and be put in to the kingdom of light. So a living stone has to be cut out, it has to be converted, and then it is placed on a foundation. He said that the foundation in in verse 18 and 19, is the apostles and the prophets. So the prophets wrote the Old Testament. The apostles wrote the New Testament. So the foundation is the word of God of which Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. If that rock is set halfway on a slab or a foundation and halfway on the grass, there is absolutely no stability. It's not going to stand. That house is going to crumble. So a living stone, in order for it to flourish, has to be cut out converted, transformed, placed on an entirely different solid foundation of which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. That is the word. And then that rock has to be shaped. There is an architect, a designer who has designed this building and that that stone has to be shaped. It has a purpose, an identity, an intent. That's the reason your giftings and my giftings are completely different. But together, we build the house. We build the church. So the, the stone has to be cut out placed, then shaped by the master designer so that we can fit together. And then the scripture says we are built up into a building, a place where the glory of God can dwell. The master builder then puts us together in relationship in the community of faith so we become a building, a house for his glory to dwell. So living stones are cut out, placed, shaped, and built up. That's part of what it looks like to start walking in citizenship in the kingdom. 
When Paul brings up this idea of citizenship in the kingdom in Ephesians 2, there's a weight that comes with his reference that I don't think we grasp. I think we take it for granted. In the Roman world, in Paul's day, individual cities were not just cities. They were known as city-states. So you could actually have citizenship in your city because your city was a city-state. So you could be a citizen of Philippi or a citizen of Ephesus, but not the whole Roman Empire. But if you were a citizen of Rome, you were granted citizenship in the entire Roman Empire. And that's a hard thing to come by. Roman citizenship was a hard thing to come by. But if you had Roman citizenship, it transcended all the rules, regulations, and rulers of all of those other city-states. So a person who was a Roman citizen traveling throughout the Roman Empire, they might go to all of these different cities that had their own rules and their own citizenship, but the duties and rights of being a Roman citizen went with them wherever they went. For example, Paul was a Roman citizen. He went to Philippi, preached the gospel, got crossways with some people because of his faith and his ministry. They stirred up a little ruckus about him and around him, brought accusations against him. He was thrown in jail for his faith. The local authorities had no idea that they had just thrown a citizen of the Roman Empire in jail without a trial. And one of the rights as a citizen of the Roman Empire is that you could not be imprisoned without a fair trial. Well, they didn't give Paul a chance to talk. And so he goes to jail that night. And the next morning, he tells the Philippian authorities that he is a Roman citizen and they had a meltdown. Because as a Roman citizen, Paul had the right to appeal all the way to the emperor, which means the wrath of the emperor could come down on them for wrongfully imprisoning in Philippi a Roman citizen. So as a Roman citizen, Paul had rights and privileges that remained intact and followed him even when he was outside of Rome. And that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 about being a Christian. A Christian is somebody, though he doesn't live in heaven, is a citizen of a heavenly kingdom and has the same rights and privileges, responsibilities, and duties wherever he is. And I just want to talk for a few moments about some of those rights, but I want to talk to you also about one particular duty. First, the right of appeal. As a citizen of Rome, Paul had the right to appeal to the emperor, which is what freaked the Philippians out. Most people didn't have that tremendous privilege, so it never crossed their mind. It would have been an oddity, so it never crossed their mind that they were imprisoning a guy that was a Roman citizen. He had the right to appeal this all the way to the top. If you're a Christian, a citizen of God's kingdom, you have the same right, but it is a far greater right than appealing to a Roman emperor. I want you to think back to the life of Jesus the way he did ministry. Blind men approached him, children approached him, lepers approached him, women who were considered unclean approached him, and often the disciples were trying to shield Jesus from those people as if they were saying, get back, our boss is too important for people like you. But I want you to pay attention to how Jesus responded to that. He was always rebuking his disciples that were trying to limit access to him. He, he would say things like, let the little children come to me. You see, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, Jesus is the kind of emperor that is always interested in your case. 
Listen to the passage in Romans that we often quote, but I think we're so familiar with the passage that we missed one of its main points, Romans 8.1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now this is a reference to a kingdom citizen's right of appeal. There is no condemnation, listen to this last phrase, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So before you try to make an appeal, you need to assess whether or not you're a citizen of the kingdom. The right of appeal before God belongs to citizens. And we really need to get this. We need to understand this. Don't be like the French philosopher who on his deathbed, after living his entire life of unbelief, sexual perversion, and rebellion toward God, at the end of his life... And his dying moments, he was asked about the condition of his soul. And he said, God will forgive me. That's his job. Now, the answer to that proud and arrogant statement is a big no. That kind of appeal doesn't work before God any more than someone for Saudi Arabia trying to appeal the U.S. president for justice. There are no rights without citizenship. Paul said, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are citizens of his kingdom. Your right of appeal is connected to your right of access. As a citizen of the kingdom, you have access to carry your case all the way to the Holy of Holies, all the way to the throne room of God. Through your relationship with Jesus, you have right of access to take your case all the way to the king. Now, remember the Old Testament story of Esther. It's very familiar to me because we're teaching it all month long to the kids in these camps. We're focusing on the story of Esther. And at one point in Esther's story, she has to go see the king of Persia, the emperor, to try to save her people. And she knows that if she goes in to see the emperor without permission, she could be put to death. But if the emperor stretches forth his scepter, it shows he has favor on her. It shows that he has granted her access and she can approach him. Esther risked her life courageously for the sake of her people, not knowing how the emperor is going to respond. He has favor on her, stretches out his scepter, welcomes her in. She pleads the case of her people and changes the course of a whole ethnicity that were going to be wiped off the face of the earth due to her courage. But the scepter of the king is what I want you to focus on. Had he not chosen to put the scepter out, he could have taken her life. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, God's scepter is always out, always. Now, some of you are listening to me today, and you're afraid to approach God because there are things in your life that you know he knows And you're saying, why would God ever want to listen to me? Listen, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, the scepter is always out. Your access to him and your right of appeal isn't based on your performance. It's based on his righteousness. When you surrendered your life to Jesus and confessed him as Lord and King of your life, he granted you access based on his righteousness, not on yours. And this concept of citizenship tells us an awful lot about what it means to be a Christian. The bottom line, if you're a Christian, it means you have legal standing before God in his justice system. Recently, a pastor was in a conversation with another church leader. It was not a pastor, but it was a church leader from another church. And they were friends, and they were having this mutual conversation, and 
the other church leader says to the pastor, you know, there are people in your church. It was off the cuff. wasn't a big deal. wasn't making a big point. He just said, you know, there are people in your church that are Christian. They're truly converted followers of Jesus. And there are people that attend your church who aren't. Well, that seems like a pretty benign statement to me. It's logical. It makes sense. Because going to a church doesn't make you any more a Christian than going into a McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. I mean, that just, just makes sense to me. It's a benign statement. But it infuriated that local pastor. He responded by saying, don't you dare say that about these people. They're all trying their best. They're all at different degrees of Christianity. Jesus was the only real Christian. Everybody else is just on the way. So don't be so judgmental. Now that sounds really cool to our culture. It really resonates with the people of our culture and a lot of people in the church. It makes sense to them, but it flies in the face of what Paul is saying about kingdom citizenship in Ephesians 2, and it is in direct contradiction to the rest of Scripture. Why? Because there are no varying degrees of citizenship. You're either a citizen of the kingdom or you're not a citizen of the kingdom. Being a citizen of the kingdom is kind of like being pregnant. You either are or you aren't. There's no kind of or halfway, okay? If you're not a citizen of the kingdom, all you need to do is surrender your life to the king, confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, repent of your sins, and in a moment, you become a citizen. And from that moment on, You are no less a citizen than anybody else that's been in the kingdom for 30 years. You are no less saved or no less righteous. From the moment Jesus becomes Lord of your life, you are as saved as you will ever be. You are as righteous as you will ever be. It is the right as citizens of the kingdom. Now, there are no degrees of citizenship, but there are degrees of sanctification. There are people who have citizenships who are living and who are not living and acting like a citizen of the kingdom. You, you have citizenship, but you're not living and acting like a citizen. That is an issue of sanctification. You know what you need to do? You need to grow up. You need to mature. You need to get off the milk, get on the meat, and start becoming a mature follower of Jesus Christ. That, that, but that's not an issue of citizenship. That's an issue of sanctification. You need to grow and mature and become more like Jesus in your everyday life. Some of you may be in doubt about approaching God because you don't understand the nature of citizenship in his kingdom. Because you say, well, pastor, some days I feel like I'm doing really good at living according to God's standards. And some days I do incredibly lousy. And on your good days, you can do what the Bible says. The Bible says, come before the throne of grace boldly. And you can do that on your good days because you feel confident running into the throne of grace boldly because you've been good that day. But then there are bad days in your life, bad stretches, bad seasons in your life where you don't feel worthy, you feel shame, and you don't feel like there's any way you could approach the throne of grace boldly. But if you understood your citizenship that is founded on his righteousness, not yours, anchored in his grace, not your performance, then you could approach the throne of grace just as boldly on your bad days as you did on your good days. Because coming before the throne of grace boldly was not a condition of your performance. It's a condition of his righteousness. And if you're a citizen of his kingdom, the Father sees you through the righteousness of Christ, not your performance. You have a legal right as a citizen to appeal and access. I mean, what makes a person an American? Is it the color of their skin? Is it their race, their language, their fashion choices? What makes a person an American? Obviously, it's not any of those things. Citizenship is what makes you an American. So what makes you a Christian? 
The fact that you've been more moral today than you were yesterday? No. You become a citizen when you apply for citizenship. And so let me ask you a question, a very honest question. Has there ever been a time in your life, not that you went to church, has there ever been a time in your life where you said honestly and humbly, Lord, I know I'm a stranger and an alien and a foreigner to the kingdom of God. I know I have no right to be accepted by God in my own merit, in my own righteousness, but I no longer trust in my own efforts. I want to trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. Accept me based on what Jesus has done for me. Bring me into your kingdom based on the merits of Christ and not mine. And anybody who applies for citizenship like that, who humbles himself or herself in that way, is granted citizenship through the grace of God. In a moment, you cross over the line of appeal. Now, some of us won't approach God with our problems because we don't feel like we can get anywhere near him. There's always that voice in our head that is saying, why would he ever listen to me? And there's only one way to answer that kind of voice. He will listen to me because I'm a citizen of his kingdom. And as a citizen of his kingdom, he's granted me legal rights, access, appeal, and petition. Besides the right of appeal and access, a citizen of the kingdom has the right of escort. In 1739, when Britain was at the height of its naval power, there was a lone British vessel that was attacked by the Spaniards. And in that battle... The captain of the British vessel was named Captain Jenkins, and during the battle, Captain Jenkins had his ear cut off by a sword. He attempted to save the ear by putting it in a bottle of liquor and preserving it and sailed all the way back to England where he stood before Parliament and he held up his severed ear. As a result of his plea, the British Parliament declared war on Spain and it was called the War of Jenkins' Ear. Google it. It's all there, I promise. It really happened. Now, we might say, today isn't one human being, I mean, should we really go to war over one human being or even more? Should we go to war over one ear? But you have to understand, this wasn't just any ear. And you have to understand, Captain Jenkins wasn't just any particular human being. He was a citizen of the British Empire. And an offense against him was an offense against the whole. Every citizen represented the crown, and an attack on the British citizen represented an attack on the crown. And that's the way the parliament saw it. So all the might of the British Empire escorted that one citizen, Captain Jenkins, back to the scene of the crime, and they waged war in his defense. Listen. As a citizen of the kingdom of God, you have a power escorting your life that dwarfs the power of the Roman Empire, the British Empire, and the American Empire combined. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of power, and it is backing every single citizen that belongs to it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Our kingdom power is not in earthly, but in spiritual weapons. And let me just give you a couple of those. You have kingdom power 
against your internal weaknesses, your sins. Now, many of us as kingdom citizens, we have habits and fears and drives and desires that are ripping us apart today and holding us hostage. What are we going to do about them? Are we just going to say, such is life, I'm a citizen of the kingdom, and I'm just destined to live this defeated life to my drives and my habits and my fears and my desires? Are you just going to give up to those kinds of things? When, when you've got kingdom power, you've got the word of God, which is alive and active and can deal with those things in your life, the spirit of God is actively at work on the inside of you. If you don't tap that power, if you don't access it, if you just keep accepting the condition you're in, you're thinking more like a slave than you are a citizen. Imagine, imagine a person that had been a slave his entire life in the southern U.S. up until the end of the Civil War. He's been treated like a slave his whole life. He thinks like a slave. The culture keeps forcing him to be a slave. Everyone around him sees him as a slave. But one day, Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation, making that person a citizen. He now has rights. But it's not easy after 40 years of being a slave and thinking like a slave in a culture that still wants you to be a slave to all of a sudden start acting like a citizen. Now, technically, he's a citizen. Legally, he's a citizen. He has rights. But he may keep on acting like a slave. And I think that's what's happening to a lot of us in this room today. The moment you applied for citizenship in God's kingdom, you were transferred, according to Scripture, from the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of God's dear Son, into the kingdom of light. There are fears in your life, the pride in your life, the sins in your life that were ordering you around before. They have no power over you now because you are no longer in that kingdom. Now, they're still trying to lay claim to you. They're still trying to enslave you. So the question is, are you going to lay down and let them make you a slave? Or are you going to stand on the rights that you have as a citizen of the king and walk in the power of the kingdom that wants to escort you in this inward battle? You have the right of access, the right of appeal, the right of escort, the full force of heaven's empire is standing ready to assist you in this internal battle. So I would challenge you in the same way Jenkins boldly approached parliament with his severed ear and held it up as evidence, I encourage you today to come boldly with your inward battle before parliament, before heaven's throne today, and hold up the evidence. Name it. I don't know what it is in your life, but name it. It may be some addiction. It may be pornography. It may be you're a functioning alcoholic. They say you're an alcoholic. You know in your heart you're an alcoholic, but you keep denying it verbally because you don't want to deal with the consequences of that admission. But in your heart, you know it. Bring it up, name it, hold up the ear and declare, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I am better than this. Would the power of heaven escort me through this battle so that I can find my own emancipation from these struggles? As a citizen of the kingdom, as a son or daughter of the king, amen. Those things no longer have right or authority or power over you. So are you going to live the rest of your life acting like a citizen or a slave. God is not only escorting you in those inward battles, he's also escorting you in those external battles. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works 
for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Paul's not saying that just because you're a citizen of the kingdom means your life is going to be trouble-free. When he says all things work together for good, that's not what he's saying. You're going to have a trouble-free life. He's saying as a citizen in the kingdom, the king's sovereign hand will be escorting you and guiding you through history, overpowering you and over, overpowering and overwhelming the troubles that come at you in your life. He's even promised to use those troubles to shape you and mature you to further his kingdom purposes in your life and in the world around you. So you have the right of access, the right of appeal, the right of escort. That's a few of your rights as citizens. Let me talk about one of your duties before we leave today. If you're a citizen, you represent your people. If you're a citizen, you represent your king. In Paul's conversation about the church and kingdom citizenship in Ephesians chapter 2, listen, this is what he says. We're, I'm backing up a little earlier from where I read a moment ago. He's still in that same conversation about the nature of the kingdom, citizenship in the kingdom. And he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, he, Jesus, made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one, now I want to focus on that that one statement, by creating in himself one new people. Now, if, if for those of you that are students of this and you want to go back and look in the original language, when, when in Christ Jews and Gentiles have come together as races to become one new people, the word people here literally means a new humanity a new race. God has created a new humanity from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward one another was put to death. Paul is a Jew saying this to Gentiles. In other words, when you are in Christ, there is no room in the kingdom of God for racism. There is no place because there is a new humanity. We are one as a people in Christ Jesus. First Peter, Peter makes the statement that those who are in Christ are a holy nation. You remember that statement in, in verse number 9 of chapter 2 where he says you are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. If you look at that word nation, the Greek word there is ethne, which is where we get the word ethnic or ethnicity. So God takes Jew and Gentile and makes them a new humanity, a new race, a new ethnicity. Now, in this world, our ethnicity and our culture is the grid by which we make the majority of our decisions. Your specific culture tells you how men and women relate to each other, how parents and children relate to each other. Your culture tells you how to dress. Your culture tells you what is good art and what isn't. Your culture tells you what is funny and what is not. Your culture tells you almost anything. Certain jokes that are funny here are not funny on the other side of the world. Certain things that are in fashion here are not in fashion there because we think through the grid of our culture. Our culture tells us almost everything. Now think about that. When the Bible says you become a new ethnicity in Christ, it means if you're a citizen of the kingdom, the church is not just a lecture hall or a social club. It is a counter culture. It is an entirely different culture. When we submit every area of our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we literally become an entirely new humanity that lives by an entirely different paradigm than the culture around us. So when the world looks at us, it shouldn't just see a people coming together on the weekends to get a spiritual high on occasion. It should see citizens of the kingdom. If you're a citizen of the kingdom, 
Christianity can't just be another file in the crowded drawer of your life. Christianity can't be your enrichment program, your self-help program. It has to be the center of your life out of which every other part of your life is being controlled. This is so different than the way most people today approach Jesus. So different than the way most people approach church and the kingdom of God. Most people just want Jesus to be a value added. They come to church and they just want to add Jesus to their existing way of doing life so that they can get the benefits of the kingdom without having any of the responsibilities of the kingdom. And it doesn't work that way. Here's the bottom line. There are some of us in this room who are citizens of the kingdom who are still living like aliens and foreigners and strangers. On the other hand, there are some of us in this room who are foreigners and strangers to the kingdom who are trying to claim the rights and benefits of citizenship. Let me explain what I mean. Some of you today, you're a believer. You've received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You're a citizen of the kingdom, but you're not living like a citizen. You're afraid to approach God because of your personal failures. You're not using your right of access and appeal. You're not living like a citizen. You're not experiencing the escort of God's power that is available to you because you're living and thinking and acting like a slave when God has already made you a citizen. We aren't representing our citizenship well when we are mindless about our public lives. We're failing in our duty to represent our people and our king. There is a distinctiveness that comes from God's kingdom that marks God's people. We are a new humanity that should be reflected in our public lives, that should stand counter to the culture that we live in and our business decisions and our ethics on campus and in the core of who we are, both privately and publicly. Are you a citizen living like a stranger? If so, start demanding your rights. And I'm not meaning demanding your rights of God. Don't demand your rights of God. He's the one giving you the rights. He's the source of your rights. Start demanding your rights of yourself. Look in the mirror and say to yourself, as a citizen of the kingdom, why are you living like this? Start demanding your rights. That's for the citizen living like a foreigner. But there's another group trying to claim the rights of citizenship when they're still a stranger to the kingdom. Here's what I mean. You expect God to take care of you. You expect God to bless you. You expect God to escort you. You expect God to listen to you. But you've never actually ever applied for citizenship. Well, how do I know, Pastor, if I've ever done that? Well, it's simple. Number one, you have to admit first that you're an alien to the kingdom. Nobody has ever come to the United States to try to become a citizen without at least admitting that they weren't one. You've got to admit that you weren't a citizen before you can become one. Now, you can bring your proud defense up and say, well, I tried my best. I've lived a clean life. I've been very religious. I've tried hard. But that defense doesn't earn you standing before God. Paul said our righteousness is like filthy rags. When we try to put our righteousness and our morality up as a defense to be accepted into the kingdom, that is not what gains us citizenship in the kingdom. You can't become a citizen in the kingdom until you acknowledge that you owe him everything. Without him, you are nothing. He is your maker and you have no rights in the kingdom at all apart from Jesus Christ. Without him, you are a stranger. But when you become aware and you begin to confess that, confess Jesus as the Lord, 
of your life and you say something like this, Father, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he bought my citizenship for me. I transfer my trust in myself to Jesus Christ. And in the moment you humbly acknowledge that moment, in that moment, God transfers your citizenship from the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of life. Like that rock, you are cut out, placed on a solid foundation. You will start being shaped and built up with the church into a dwelling where the presence and the glory of God can dwell. So here's how I want us to be challenged today. I want us to be challenged in those two different groups. There's some of us in this room today, you're, you're brand new. You're brand new to faith. Obviously, you're just freshly cut out of the quarry. You're a rough cut rock, and you're just starting this thing, and there are things in your life that don't look like the kingdom. That's natural. When you've been a slave to something 40 years and you get free, you don't immediately start acting like a citizen. You're growing into what it means. And the more you get in the word, the more you grow in group discipleship, the more you pray, the more you pursue Jesus, the more your life starts becoming like him. You're a citizen, and now the process of sanctification is beginning. But there are some of you, some of us, that have been citizens for a long time that are stunted in our spiritual growth using grace as an excuse. Paul said, God did not give us grace to be a license for us to go on sinning. He said that right in his word. But some of us are doing just that because we know we have citizenship in the kingdom. We have just rested in our current condition. There is very little of our life different from the lives of those who are not citizens. Matter of fact, for some of us who are citizens of the kingdom, there are people who are not citizens of the kingdom who have more moral lives than some of us do. And we just let that become our condition. We're not representing our people, and we're not representing our king. And it's time for us to hear the word, let the spirit of God convict our hearts, and start growing up. If we're a citizen in the kingdom, there is a maturation process that comes with that citizenship. It's our duty and responsibility to represent the king well. But there's some of us in this room, because we've been around church, we're, for goodness sake, we're in Texas, there's a church on every corner, and we just assume people float in and out of church just like they eat apple pie, watch baseball on the 4th of July. That's, that's just part of being an American. That's why there are so many churched people in this country that are not citizens of the kingdom, and they have this idea that somewhere along the way, because somebody sprinkled water on them, or they got the name in some membership role of a church, or they shook a preacher's hand, that all is well. That's not how you apply for citizenship. You can have your name on every membership roll in Dallas County, be baptized, sprinkled, dipped, and washed with a garden hose, but if you've not applied for citizenship with the king, it doesn't matter. If you're trying to claim benefits as a citizen, but you've never in your life, you can tell me what church you've been associated with, but you have never in your life said, I'm an alien to the kingdom. Bring me in, Lord, not on my own merits, but on yours. I want you to cut me out of this world. Cut me out of the quarry of this culture. Transform me from the power of darkness into the power of light. I give you my life. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In a moment, you come into his kingdom. And you're as much a citizen as you'll ever be from that moment on.
not as sanctified as you'll ever be, but as much as a citizen as you will ever be. And you'll spend, like the rest of us, the rest of our lives attempting to become more and more like Jesus. I want you to stand with me, if you will, all over this place today. And I'm going to ask the prayer team if they would to come and make themselves available. I, I want us to pray today. And I really, I really feel like we need to pray over these, these three groups of people, two that I've already talked about. There's a group in here that's a citizen, but you're living like a stranger. Now, you can do this right where you're sitting, sure. And I would challenge you, don't run out of here without doing it. But there's something powerful about coming up to somebody and saying, you know what, I'm not flourishing as a citizen like I should. I just want you to pray with me that I have the escort of God's power in my life to represent the king well. I want to grow in my walk with Christ. We'd be honored to pray with you about that. There's some of you today, some, I think probably before, even now, there are people, as I preach today, who maybe borrowed some of the words that I was saying who have never been a part of the kingdom, never been a citizen of the kingdom. And you, you already made your application. You've already made that appeal stepped over that line but some of you may need help you may want us to pray with you we'd be honored to do that and the Bible says that if you confess him before men he'll confess you before the father which is in heaven so if you made that appeal today right where you're sitting and you just applied for citizenship given your heart to Jesus come down and say hey I gave my life to Jesus will you pray with me I became a citizen of the kingdom today will you pray with me there's something about that public confession of that decision Jesus said it confess me before men I'll confess you before my father be ashamed of me before men I'll be ashamed of you before my father and then there's another group of people some of you are you're believers and you've got some of those external battles that are going on right now there's a war raging around you I just want to have this team to be able to join you in prayer today that the power of heaven's escort comes along beside you and goes against that aggression that is going on in your life, that battle in relationship, that battle in your finances, that battle in your physical body, that all of heaven's power comes alongside you to escort you in the face of this struggle today. That the mountain moves, that there's a miracle at work in your life in this moment. In the same way Parliament responded to Jenkins' plea that heaven will respond to your plea today and respond with the full force of its power in your situation. So Father, today, as we prepare to open these altars to citizens acting like strangers and strangers claiming benefits they have no rights to, and believers, Lord, who are in desperate need of heaven's escort to walk them through this next battle they face. As we pray together, some right where they are and some who will come forward in a moment, would you work miracles at every level and every group and every life today? Let there be life change to the glory and the honor of the name of Jesus. Father, I pray today that you will bless them and keep them, that you'll make your face shine down upon them, that you'll be gracious to them, that you'll turn your countenance their direction, and that you will give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. 
feel free to share it with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at North Place and on Facebook at North Place Church. To watch the video of this message, go to northplacechurch.com slash watch. Have a great day.